Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Can't help but praise him. Can't help but praise him. Hallelujah. 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 Now, I don't want to break the flow, but I have a, a bit of an announcement I need to give. <clears throat> Hallelujah. <clears throat> I got a phone call this week from um, someone who follows Revival Life Church online. They live in another state. Uh, and and they, they wanted to talk about um, a message I had last week. Uh, and they asked, I, I spoke a little bit about um, guns and concealed carry last week. And he called me and he said, now listen, Pastor, I, I, I want to hear what your heart is here. Because where I come from, it's very violent. And I said, listen, I am preaching to a people in Boca Raton, Florida. If you feel like you might need to carry a concealed carry to Whole Foods in Boca, my point was you might want to check what has you fearful. If you feel like you need a gun to go to the mall in Boca, you might want to make sure fear is not dictating your life. If you are in Sao Paulo, if you are in Ecuador, if you're in inner city Oakland and you're security of a, of a, of a place and you got to, that's, I'm talking to people in Boca Raton, challenging them to make sure that fear is not dictating parts of their life that love should be dictating. So if you're viewing this online, if you're in another place, if you're uh, listening to my stuff from other, I'm contextualizing the gospel here. So just put it into words for your heart. Now, maybe you work at a, a pawn shop. I hope you don't. But if you do, you work in a pawn shop and you have to wear a gun as part of your job. That's, that's not what I was talking about. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I'm, I just want to be clear. I'm not, you know, I, I talk about being out of debt because it's good to be out of debt. And then people are like, well, pastor, if you leverage debt for 3% and you can invest it, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about don't spend money you don't have. If you're a businessman who has to leverage debt because of that, speaking about stuff I don't even know about, right? I am, a, I am a pastor. I'm preaching the word of God. This is not an investment strategy. That's not what this is. I'm not teaching a business course up here. If you're at a church where your pastor was supposedly a business expert and a this expert and a that expert, he wasn't any of those experts. He, that means he wasn't even an expert on this, right? So I, this is my realm right here, right? I, I'm, I'm operating in my lane. I'm trying to give you an ethical framework for living. Apply it as Holy Spirit would lead you. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Let's get in the Word today. <clears throat> Mark chapter 9. Hallelujah. <clears throat> if you have questions about that or anything that I preach, I'm not Moses, right? You can talk to me, right? Like, you, you, ever, have a, you ever have a pastor who's like, you can't talk about, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You've heard that, right? Don't question the man of God. Good God, I speak to Moses face to face. And when people say that, I'm like, are you, are you comparing yourself to Moses? Moses, first five books of the Bible, Moses. Brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. You can't even bring your family out of debt. And you're trying to talk about like you're Moses. Stay in your lane, right? You ain't Moses, bro, all right? 
It's a little saucy, but it, the word is though. The, the word is, the word is saucy. Mm. I can't even get the world out yourself. You're going to bring people out. Anyways, Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> Moses, come on. Please, show, 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 me, show me Aaron's rod, right? <clears throat> mm, pawn shop. <laughs> Got a house full of flies, but it ain't supernatural. You're just dirty. Just dirty. Dirty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Listen, I don't, I don't enter my Elijah phase. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying things now. You know what I found out? I found out I could try to make people happy and people still find a way to get mad. And I can be myself and people get mad. So I might as well be me. Amen. I can't be Moses. No, oh, he won't get me singing. Stop it. <clears throat> stop it. Stop it. Stop it. I just felt the pull in that one. I was like, no, I've got to bring that back. Rewind. Mark chapter 2. Oh, Jesus. Father, let's just pray. Father, please help Carl. He's on one today. And um, I want to share the word of God. Amen. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The Bible says, And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white and I lost where I was oh, here we go he became radiant exceedingly white so as the no launderer on earth can whiten them and Elijah appeared to them along with Moses and they were talking with Jesus Peter responded and said to Jesus Rabbi it is good that we are here let's make three tabernacles one for you one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know how to reply, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. And they were coming down from the mountain. He gave them orders to not relate to anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man rose from the dead. They seized upon that statement, discussing with one another what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why is it that the scribes say Elijah must come first? And he said to them, Elijah does come first and he restores all things. And yet how is it written of the Son of Man that he will suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I say to you that Elijah has indeed come, and they did to him whatever they wanted, just as it is written of him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Mike. <clears throat> hallelujah. 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 Today is, uh, what, February 11th? Uh, February 2nd was Groundhog's Day. Uh, did anybody know that? Did anybody celebrate Groundhog's Day? Is anybody? It's not a, big, not, a big not a big holiday. Let me get that next time, Isaac, right? So, so on, 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 um, on February 2nd, uh, my wife and I, we watched, as, as Isaac showed you, where are we at here, buddy? Here we go, right? Wherever it is, put it up if you would, please. Put up Groundhog's Day. My wife and I watched Groundhog's Day on Groundhog's Day. That's how we celebrated Groundhog's Day. 
Now, it's an old movie. It's from uh, the 90s. Um, and it's a great movie, right? And so if you've not seen the movie, if you guys can turn on the light so people can read their Bible, that'd be great. Um, if you've not seen the movie, uh, here's, the, here's, the, here's, here's the plot. Uh, there's a weatherman in, in Pittsburgh who was, uh, you know, kind of, he felt kind of too good for the job that he had. And uh, he went and had to go film this groundhog uh, named Punxsutawney Phil. And every Groundhog's Day, Puxatawney Phil would rise up out of the hole. And if he saw his shadow, there would be six more weeks of winter. And if he didn't see his shadow, it would come to an end. Or it's the opposite. I don't know which exactly. I live in Florida. It doesn't really matter to me either way. But what happens is uh, he, he goes and he does the shot and he's kind of in a bad attitude and, and uh, he lives the day out, he's snowed in, he wakes up the next morning, and it's the same day, it's Groundhog's Day again. And he goes through the day, he's like, man, I'm going through something right now, I thought I'd been through here before, and he does the whole day, and he wakes up the next morning, it's Groundhog's Day again, right? And and then he finally realizes, no matter what I do, I get the same outcome. It becomes Groundhog's Day all over again. And so he starts doing all the wildest perverted things he can think of that he couldn't get away with in real time. At one point, he kidnaps the groundhog and drives off a cliff with him, and and he does all kinds of crazy things trying to break out of this cycle of Groundhog's Day. And then one day, something finally pierced his heart, and he decided, maybe I can help some people on Groundhog's Day. And, And it wasn't until he decided to become a better person that his life began to change. And instead of Groundhog's Day being a curse, every day he was able to help people until he finally broke the cycle and then it was no longer Groundhog's Day, it was the day after. And this is what I see in a lot of believers' lives. Now listen, this is just a movie and I'm not trying to say the movie is in the Bible, but when you read the Bible, there are a set of stories in the Bible. And if you read the Bible enough, you will recognize that there's only so many stories to be told. If you watch any movie, there's only so many plots to unfold. It's the same stories over and over and over again with different characters and different twists, but there's only a certain number of genres of films and only so many plots to be played out because there's only so many plots in the human condition. And we find in ourselves what we Bill Murray found in Groundhog's Day, many people find out that they live their lives just like that character. They're stuck in a loop, hoping, wishing, praying that things will change, and they wonder why they're not getting their breakthrough. I don't know if you felt that way, but I want to talk about that today, this cycle that can seemingly curse us where we can never quite break out of the cycle of our lives. Maybe, I know you prayed. I know, I know you've, you've cried out to God. You just, you're just begging God to hear your voice. But if you are not hearing, receiving the word for your breakthrough and putting it to work in your life, you are going to stay stuck. 
And that is the truth. We keep crying out for God to do something different, where God is sending a word of change that we need to appropriate and apply to our lives. See, dead religion just tells you to keep doing the same thing you've been doing. Uh, Manipulative religion tells you that you need to work harder and to follow a certain person or a certain mind frame or a certain mantra. But Jesus tells us something different. Christianity tells you your answers are found in the presence of God. Amen? Amen? It's only in the presence of God that we can get the answers we need. You might be saying, man, I've been praying forever, but I am not getting what I need. And like I said last week, we need to learn to ask better questions. We don't understand that the questions that we ask God are prefaced by a series of belief systems in God. Now, if you came up under lottery religion or magical Christianity, all you do is you sit in a room and you pray and then God changes everything around you. There's a magic formula. I do the right thing, then God does something for me. When in reality, God wants to partner with you to bring his grace to the world. God wants to work in you. Yes, absolutely. But God wants to work in you so he can work through you. And if we do not allow him to work in us, he does not work through us purely. And this is kind of what I was making funny about, fun, fun about the Moses thing. People who want to claim the title of Moses but have not undergone the inner transformation to make them someone that you would believe to be a Moses-type figure. Moses went through 40 years in the desert after going through 40 years in leading in Egypt just so that he could hear the word of God with power for the people of Israel. There's leaders today who will not go through the crucible of the desert. They just want to skip straight to the mountaintop with God and tell everybody that they're God's appointed man for the hour, but they have not gone through the crucible of leadership testing and and drawing out of their character to be worthy to stand behind the sacred desk and say, I heard God say. We got a bunch of people who are nothing more than spiritual entrepreneurs. They just want to be small business owners and the church is all they know until they make the church into their small business to come up. And they peddle what they have, but what they have is spiritual poverty. And so they just make more impoverished sons and daughters dependent on them instead of being filled with the fullness of God. I feel like I'm on one today. Who knows what's coming out? Watch out. Listen. The role of the, of the Holy Ghost in your life, working through your pastor, is to get you to be able to hear and obey the voice of God. That is the role of the elder teachers in your life. Not to be, man, to be Moses. But Moses was done away with on purpose. To rebuild the, 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 the system of Moses is to reject the system of Jesus. People are like, we're going to build the temple of prayer. That's funny, because Jesus burned that thing down in AD 70. But you're going to rebuild what Jesus didn't even want to be built. A Christianity has no clue what's going on in the Word of God. We need to be better than this, amen? We need to understand the Word of God a little bit better. We don't walk in the victory Jesus has for us because we don't see what the real problem is and how Jesus came to solve it. So we live stuck. We don't ask good questions, so we don't get good answers. And we live a mediocre life, not fulfilling our potential or our calling. 
And, and, I'm, and I feel I'm, I'm, I might sound a little negative, might be a little harsh right now, but that's not because I'm disappointed with anybody in this room. I'm not upset with you. I'm excited about Revival Life Church and what God is doing here. I'm excited about what Jesus is doing in our midst. I am very upset about a religious system that continues to oppress people, lie and manipulate them and hold back the very Jesus who came to save them. That's what your pastor's worked up about today. The radical life of Jesus in these systems becomes a, a fairy tale. Here's what happens. We just get so, so familiar with the story. We get so familiar with the Bible that it loses its power. The Jesus that we read about in the Gospels just becomes a, like a story that we're not connected to. It's like a, like a history lesson. Oh yes, a man named Elijah did this. Yes, a woman named Deborah did these amazing things. Yes, a woman named Mary surrendered. But uh, you know, yeah, what, is, what does that have to do with my life right now? Many of us make the mistake of reading the Bible and we see what we have been told is in the scriptures more than we see what's actually in the scriptures. And I'm, I'm going to kind of lean into that a little bit today. And uh, I'm, I'm going to conduct a spiritual exercise in today's service. We're going to read the Bible with fresh eyes so we can see what we have been missing to answer the questions we should be asking. Amen? Amen. At the end of service, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for fresh eyes and fresh revelation. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 9 today. In Mark chapter 7, <clears throat> Jesus said, because of your tradition, the word of God isn't even powerful anymore. That tradition is what you have been taught that the Bible means. Remember, we have talked about this, that the Jews had the what we would call the Tanakh or the writings of Moses, the first five books, or what we call the Old Testament, which would be the Tanakh. Uh, and they had the Mishnah with it. The rabbis had interpreted what the Bible means. Remember, we talked about that. And because they looked at the traditions of men, what men told them the scriptures mean, that was the totality of what they received from it. And because they leaned more into the Mishnah, what the rabbi said, than what the Bible said, the Bible didn't have the power it was supposed to have in their lives. And that's in Mark chapter Seven, And today, we celebrate what is called on the church calendar of the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, this is a day, next week, we'll start Lent. Uh, but this, um, this day, we celebrate the day that Jesus was on the mountaintop and was transfigured. We're going to talk about why that's important and why that makes a difference in your life. Remember where we are in the story of Jesus. Jesus could have come as a king. Right? He's the son of God. He spoke the world into existence. Everything that was created was created through him. He was the Messiah who Israel had been waiting for forever. It was prophesied that he would ride in and he would have authority over the new kingdom. So he could have come and sat on the seat of David as an heir of the kingdom. He could have destroyed all of Rome and forced everyone to worship him. He, 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 could, have, he could have made everyone bow down to him the God-man, God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, fully holy, without sin. 
He could have done that. He could have come as the chief rabbi, wowing all the people in the synagogues, submitting to his authority and intelligence. But that's not how he came. He came and he ministered on the outskirts of society. He ministered to the broken. He ministered to those who didn't have money. He ministered to those who were hurt and those who had been rejected. He ministered to those who were poor and marginalized in what liberation theology calls the preferential option for the poor. This is who Jesus chose to minister to. And in chapter 8, the chapter before the one we're reading today, uh, it's a turning point in Mark's gospel. At this, up till this point, they stayed out of Jerusalem mostly. He was out in Galilee. He traveled around. He did travel out to the coast at one point, but uh, the Jews wanted to kill him, so he avoided Jerusalem. It wasn't time. He was ministering on the outskirts of town. And then he says there in chapter 8, he says, hey, if anyone wants to follow me, Take up your cross and follow me. He said that as his ministry began to turn from ministering in Galilee, where he was safe, toward Jerusalem. Now I'm going to Jerusalem. If anybody wants to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me to Jerusalem, where you will be murdered at some point, as I will be murdered. This is the call of Jesus for every disciple. If you want to follow me, you have to be willing to give up your life to follow me. Now, when you're on the wrong side of the cross, that looks scary. That looks terrible. I like my life the way it is now. On the believer side of the cross, you're like, ain't nothing on that other side I wanted to keep anyways. Amen. Amen. If you have not experienced that at the end of service today, we can pray for you and you can give your life to Jesus and then you will say amen to that as well next time because you will encounter the grace and love of God and find out that these crumbs that you've been living off of are nothing to be compared to the table the Lord has invited you amen. to sit at. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. amen. <laughs> so they're in Galilee and they travel to Jerusalem. Of course, between this area and Jerusalem is a desert. And so Jesus says, anybody wants to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. And he goes out into the wilderness now, the wilderness is a common theme as you read the Bible. Look out for the wilderness language, the wilderness metaphors, and what happens in the wilderness. God is always calling people out into the wilderness to be transformed. If you find yourself in a wilderness season today, you feel like I'm away from God, or I feel like I'm in a wilderness, or I feel like God, that's because you're in a season of transformation. Allow God to work deep transformation in your times of wilderness. Do not waste your season of testing. Do not waste your season of darkness. Do not waste your season of wilderness. God wants to show you a new aspect of his nature and character in your life. And this is what happens with the disciples. They're walking from uh, Galilee south to uh, Jerusalem and um, first they go north. They're like, okay, we're going to go south to Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, yes. Then they make a hook. They go up north of Israel. Uh, and now they're both physically and spiritually in the wilderness. What is happening? And they went to a mountaintop. And many people believe that this mountain is Mount Hermon. That's not really important for our story today. But on Mount Hermon, Jesus has changed. It's what we just read about Jesus. And he took three of his disciples. And they went on the mountaintop and he's praying. And as he's praying, the, the word in the Bible as we read it is that he was 
transfigured. That's the Greek word morphe or morphe. I don't speak old Greek, but you understand what I'm saying here. It's the same root word that we get metamorphosis from. It's this morphing. It's this changed. And he's on the mountain and he's praying and all of a sudden he is completely changed physically. He begins to shine so bright that his clothes become bright. Let me just tell you this as an aside. When the Holy Ghost of God gets on you and changes you, everything in your life changes. His very clothes were changed. Everything in your life changes when the anointing of God comes upon you. I'm here to let you know. But as he's there, we read in the story that two guys show up, Moses and Elijah, Mark tells us. Nowhere does the Bible tell us how he knew it was Moses and Elijah. I feel like if somebody who had been dead for 500 years showed up on a mountaintop with me, I would want to ask who these people are. I don't know that I would. How did he know exactly that these were Moses and Elijah? We don't know exactly, but we know it's something. We know something was happening. We know that these long dead fathers of the faith showed up in the midst of Jesus being transfigured. And so now we have Jesus, the three disciples. We got Elijah. We got Moses. And we got the glory. And we know that the disciples were freaked out. We know because the Bible actually says that they were scared. They were so scared, they started asking dumb questions. You ever do that? (laughs) These are real people in the Bible, right? And so we make fun of them all the time. I grew up in church that had a certain theology about this transfiguration that these people want to build altars to Moses and Elijah and Jesus up on the mountain and that only Jesus is worthy of an altar. And to that I would say, amen. The problem is that's not what the Bible actually says. The Bible doesn't say they wanted to build any kind of altar. It says a tabernacle. See, in, the, in that season that they were in, there was a, a, one of the, the feasts of Israel. It's called the Feast of Booths, right? And at the Feast of Booths, uh, what would happen is they remembered what happened when the children of Israel were in the wilderness traveling from Egypt to Israel. If you watched The Chosen, here's that little scene where they're building the little booth. Anybody watch it? Did anybody go see the movie yet of the next three episodes? Anybody see Some people? Some people want to see it? Yeah, no. Maria Kopkot's trying to get a group together to go. You might want to get with her. I don't know. Huh? They went Friday. You're not going with her. Sorry. But if it was good, she'll go with you again. If not, wait for the TV show. <clears throat> so, so, so here's what we have. We have, we have there's this Feast of Booths in the, in the Jewish religion that God ordered them in uh, Leviticus chapter 23 to celebrate every year. You see, when they came out of Egypt into Israel, uh, they had these tents that they would live with in the, in the wilderness, and they had to build a booth for the altar of God, where they would minister the sacrifices outside of it. In the inside was the holy place where there was the, uh, the, the ark and there was a lamp and, and there was a little washing basin. And, 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 and they had this booth they would go. And God said, hey, every year I want you to set up a booth to remember that you were at one time without a home. And you were in the wilderness and you had nowhere to go. And I need you to keep that in your memory. And it's an eight-day feast that they would keep. And it was very similar to Thanksgiving in America where we supposedly thank God for his provision 
well, the, the story of Thanksgiving is that we thank God that he provided, not that we wiped out a race of people, but that, that, that's not what we celebrate. We celebrate the, the, the God part, right? Uh, and, 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 uh, and so every Jew is to remember how God provided for them in their darkest days. And, and it was there in their poverty out in the desert where they had tents for them to live in, and God provided food on the ground. You remember that? There was food that would show up on the ground, and they lived in tents, and God provided for them that whole day. They, they were not only to remember their poverty, but they identified with it by living in a booth every year. This is so important for Christians. This is so, we forget all this part of our spiritual history. Every year, God would say, hey, go get out of your comfort place. Go and be uncomfortable in your yard to remember, this is where you are without me. Without me, you are a people in a tent in the wilderness. Anything you have can be taken away. Anything you have can be just crumbled in an instant. What we consider to be baseline living nowadays, all that can be taken away. I have friends, uh, many before many of you were, were born, who were in Venezuela when it was extremely, extremely wealthy. Venezuela had an economy that was exploding, and there were car dealerships all over South Florida that were just exporting cars like crazy to Venezuela because they had this oil money, and there was just so much wealth going around. And they lived better than many Americans lived. They had, a, had an economy that was booming, and people were doing great. And then one bad leader comes in, and they destroy the economy. And all of a sudden... Women are leaving to prostitute themselves in Colombia. Families are getting on rafts to try to leave and get anywhere they can. The economy gets destroyed. People are in poverty. Nothing is guaranteed in this life. Amen? At any moment, this thing that we consider to be stable, can, it's a vapor. It can pass on. And God knew this. And so God told them, listen, I know you're in your own land now. I know that things are going well, but... If you refuse to put me first, you can go right back to where you were. And so I need you every year. I need you to get not too far from your breakthrough. Come on, somebody. You need to get not too far from your breakthrough. I need you to remember where you come from. This is why Alcoholic Anonymous works so well. Because once you go through the steps of AA, you're to become a sponsor. And you are to walk with somebody who is going through where you were. So you can remember how much that substance destroyed your life. You never get too far from it. This is why as a believer, it is your duty to operate in discipleship with new people. It is your responsibility to get in a small group with other believers who may be newer than you, who hear the message on Sunday and miss the nuance and they miss the depth. And they don't quite understand what's going on. And you can remember, man, I didn't used to know what I know right now. And I used to be able to fall for the okie doke of the enemy, just like they're falling right now. And I used to fall in these traps, but I have to remember where I was. You look at some prophets and apostles, try to get them to talk to somebody who doesn't know God. They stumble over their words because all they know is churchianity. All they know is Christianese. They don't know how to just get on somebody's level and let them know Jesus is good. I know you got questions, but I need you to know that God 
wants to come through for you. Let me help and walk you through these relational dynamics because you don't quite see clearly and I'm going to help you hear and obey the voice of God. Let's read the Bible together. Let's get in the word together. Let's go ahead and see what God might be doing in your life to clean it up a little bit so you can shine for Jesus yourself and get your little trifling family saved so you're, so you're, so there's this little community, this generational thing can come into some blessings. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen, amen, amen. I talk to some people. I'm like, what's, what's the goal for your life? Like, I just, I want to be able to get a car. I'm like, hmm, well, that's good. Um, um, but I got a whole batch of dreams. I can give you like six or eight of them to elevate your expectation a little bit because God has something far better than just a car. And if you don't have a car, I pray you get a car. I'm trying to buy a car. I pray I get a car. Don't get me wrong. If you need a car, you need a car. I'm with you. But God wants to do something generationally through you. Amen. He wants to touch the whole neighborhood. <clears throat> So they were to remember their poverty. They were supposed to identify with it by staying in this booth. And so we, like I said, we get, we get so comfortable that we forget that we were in the wilderness at one point, that we were desperate for God's breakthrough. And so when Israel was in the wilderness, desperate for God, Moses cried out, hey, we need some provision. God said, hey, Nothing. <laughs> And Moses said, listen, I desperately need to see you. And he went up on Mount Sinai. You might know this story. Moses went up on Mount Sinai in the wilderness, and he saw the glory of God pass before him. And then he led the children of Israel up out of bondage. The prophet Elijah had defeated, if you remember, uh, Jezebel and all the false prophets of Baal. He had murdered them, and fire came down, and then he beat them to death. It was really a crazy story, right? And then, as happens to most of us on the mountaintop, next day comes, and the depression hits. The anxiety hits. The enemy comes full onslaught into our lives. That's what happened with Elijah. He went into full-blown depression. He's hiding in a cave, and he's telling God, man, there's nobody left but me. And God's like, no, actually, uh, there's me, right? And he takes Elijah, and he says, listen, go outside. He's like, what are you doing in a cave? Get out the cave. And so in that wilderness season, Elijah goes on the mountain, <clears throat> excuse me, in the wilderness at his lowest point, and God says, hey, get out the cave. Stand on the mountain. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, he stood on that mountain and had an encounter with the living God. Now fast forward to today's scripture. Peter, the chapter before, just recognized that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus asked him, who do people say that I am? But who do you say that I am? Jesus said, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one of God. Next chapter, they go up on a mountain and there's the glory of God. But this glory is not passing by them. It's on Jesus. And then there's Moses, and there's Elijah. And so he's like, wow, look, look who just showed up in the glory. We have this pattern in the Bible of the wilderness, mountaintop, glory of God. And the disciples are like, we've seen this story before. It's the Feast of Booths. What do we do right now? They start freaking out. And so the Bible says he was scared 
and didn't know what to say. Now, I need you to see this point right here. Because their minds had not been renewed to the gospel, they fell back into religion. Watch this. Because their minds were not renewed to who Christ truly was, they fall back into religion. They didn't know to ask better questions. They have the Lord Jesus Christ transfigured in glory. They have the prophets Moses and Elijah. And and their first thought, the first thing that comes to their mind is, we better perform our religious ritual. We better start making these booths, these tabernacles, because that's what, uh uh-oh, Moses and Elijah are here. They're going to enforce the law. We better get busy because the religious people are in town. Not recognizing that the glory of God came to do something significant in their lives. So they're under the law, and their first notion is to do the works of the law. We need to break out of religious trauma and shame and see Jesus for who he came to be. They say he was Messiah, but they couldn't see how he came to set us free. Jesus, Jesus came to be Messiah for Israel, but for them personally. The best question they could ask in their fear and confusion was, should we start to get ready for the Feast of Booths? But Jesus was the better manna in the desert that kept Israel alive. Jesus is the glory that passed before Moses. Jesus is the still small voice that Elijah heard on that mountain. And Jesus is still the still small voice speaking to people today. You see, Jesus was the better booth in the wilderness where all humanity can run and hide from their poverty and, 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 and rejection. All these symbols in the Old Testament point to who Jesus is. But they were terrified. That's the only word for when you, your religious mindset fails you. Terror. When you thought you knew God, and you knew what God was going to do, and it doesn't happen. Does that happen to anybody else in the room? You were sure God was going to do this thing. You knew it. Oh, I know what God's going to do. He's going to, he's going to do this. He's going to do this. into that. That's, 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 what's, that's what's going to happen. And then reality comes. Reality is what happens when you face your assumptions in real life. Reality is what happens... When you find out you don't have control over the world's unfolding, that's reality. And let me tell you, the only place Jesus dwells is in reality. He doesn't dwell in fantasy. He doesn't dwell in assumptions. He doesn't dwell in our fiction. He dwells in reality. When you thought that one friend would always walk with you and even they turned their back on you, terrified. When you thought God was going to heal that person late in the midnight hour and they go home to be with Jesus, terrified. When you thought for sure God is going to pay this bill right now and it doesn't get paid, 
reality. And then we find out that God is bigger than all these assumptions. When the bills come due and the children are sick and the spouse is weak and we're not sure that God is coming through, just like the disciples, terrified. I've spent some terrified nights with the Lord. But let me tell you this. In the darkness, God speaks a better word. In the midst of your terror, when you actually are ready, come on, let me tell you this for a second. I find it very easy to disciple new believers. I find it super, super easy to speak a word of hope into people who don't know God. People who don't know him or just met him and they only know his grace, man, they, I love, love, love to pour into them because they are just wide open to hearing about Jesus. You know who's hard to disciple? Religious Christians. People who have everything figured out already and none of it is working because they refuse to hear that what you think is reality doesn't actually work. Let's look at our scripture here. Mark chapter 9, verse 7 and 8, it says, Then a cloud cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except... I uh, told our intercessors on uh, Sunday night, hello, how you doing? So wonderful to see y'all. Don't leave without me getting a hug. I told our intercessors Sunday night, um, I feel like something's about to pop off here at Revival Life. I just feel this prophetic unction, unction is bubbling, right? We're seeing it in different places. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, but when the anointing comes, we like to think that it's gonna, it is going to do what we want it to do. It's kind of like, you know, when young people get married. And, I, and I've told my wife how, how useless premarital counseling is because uh, people who aren't married don't listen. They think they know everything already. And I'm like, you ain't actually been married. You don't actually know, like, what I'm giving you is gold right here. But you're not listening because you don't, you don't recognize it as gold because it doesn't fit the paradigm you're living in. And so we'll give you this as a seed that hopefully you can hide in your heart until it's time that the conflict comes, that the terror comes. In this perfect marriage that God has just orchestrated, that is going to be the one marriage free of real conflict because y'all love Jesus so much, uh, when the terror comes that that word was not a word from God, now we actually have something to work with. Because you don't know what you get into. Anybody who's been married a minute knows that. You, don't, you had no idea. You had no idea. I mean, Tracy and I, we didn't start fighting till. I mean, because God brought us together. Uh, <clears throat> so it wasn't until... The second day of our honeymoon, we had our first big fight. <clears throat> that anointing sustained me. <laughs> and 
until the, you know, the, uh, the anointing. And I was like, Lord, it's that woman you gave me. <laughs> I, started, I started feeling the anointing that, that Adam was walking in. Is that woman, is that woman you gave me, Lord? Because clearly I am fully submitted to the word of God. I am the man of God of power for the hour. I am the anointed one to lead this family. And it's this woman, it's this woman you brought me who does not recognize the mantle that I'm walking in. And then she recognized it too, too much, actually. And she's like, eh, that, 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 ain't, that ain't the mantle of the Lord right there. That's... um." We ain't doing that. I'm like, I do not. I told you, run in the rain. Like, you, why you don't? Why you don't understand what's happening? We we went we went we went to the Bahamas for our re- and I didn't know she didn't like walking in the sand. How, I'm like, how are we going to the Bahamas? You ain't gonna walk in the sand. What what do we? I'm like, we're gonna go to this door. She's like, I'm not walking that way. I'm like, it's the door. She's like, I ain't going that way. I'm like, what are you talking about? You're not going. She ain't walking through the sand. I'm like, what is? Does that sound stupid to y'all? No, 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 no. Not the not walking in the sand, the arguing about walking in the sand. That's the stupid part. But that's what we fought about. We, we got married in Boca, spent the night in Fort Lauderdale, flew to Bahamas, had a fight. I'm like, what in the world? Now, I don't know if y'all know this. I grew up in Delray, and, and we, I had a friend named uh, Michael, and his mom would take us to the beach all the time. And not for nothing, I'm white, right? So I went to the beach a lot as a child. And uh, I walk in the sand. My wife, you went to the beach a lot, didn't want to walk in the sand, apparently. Wasn't excited about walking in the sand. And she wasn't sure if she walked through the sand, the door would be unlocked once we got there. And so she's like, let's just go through the door that I know is unlocked. And I'm like, why would, just, just, just follow me. All you need to do is follow me and you'll be safe because I'm the man of God. <clears throat> and we're having a fight. The first day of our honeymoon, Oh, we're walking through the sand. Not for nothing, the door was locked. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> but she should have been with me to see that it was locked. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, and, so, and so, you know, we have this marriage counseling. People don't, people don't be listening because they don't think they need it. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're just, we love spending, you know, seven hours with people who are, well, this is, we have nothing better to do with our lives and tell you this information that we don't find valuable. We've been married for 24 years. 24? Next week it'll be 24 years we've been married. Yeah. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I got, I got a little bit to, we got a little bit to share, right? And, 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 and this isn't my message, but just let me, let me talk to the men out there for a second. It ain't that serious. Whatever it is you want to fight about, it ain't that serious, right? Don't, don't make it bigger than it is. I remember we had a big fight. Well, we had fights before we got married. We had to register for our wedding. Now, I'm a guy who grew up in a house with a mom and two sisters. And so I constantly had to be the man, I thought. I had to establish my manhood. And so we went to register, and she's registering for a, a little bedspread, and I'm like, that thing's got flowers on it. I can't have no flowers on my bedspread. I didn't recognize it wasn't my bedspread no more. 
we're having a fight in Target about what bedspread we're supposed to have because I can't have flowers because I didn't even recognize, hear me, I didn't recognize my insecurity in having too feminine a bedspread. How stupid is that? It ain't that serious. Years later, we went to get bedspread. She's like, honey, are you like, I don't care what bedspread you get. I'm way past fighting over bedspreads. That's a, I got, I got, I like, I'm, I got stuff to worry about right now. I, I ain't got time for that kind of nonsense. Uh, my, 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 my ego isn't wrapped up in a bedspread. But this is, this is where we get, <clears throat> hear me, this is, this is where we get with religion and God. We don't recognize that we have been baptized in religion instead of actually hearing the voice of God because somebody in our lives told us what they were saying is God's voice, and then we filter everything that we hear later on through that voice that we were told was God. And so what happens is when we come into those situations where people are manipulating their power, we can come out from under them, but if we do not recognize what they taught us was not actually God's voice, but their voice, we continue to read the Bible through the voice of those who perverted the word of God for their own benefit. Does anybody know what I'm talking about right now? And so we think we know what we read out of the Bible, but we're not reading the Bible. We're reading what somebody told us the Bible says, not what the the actual Bible says. And so we look back on the Jews and we're like, I can't believe you read the Mishnah instead of the Word of God. You had the Word of God right there. And yet we're reading the Bible through whoever we got discipled by. Whatever cultic false ministry that was out there just to make money or just out there to try to gain power or just some people who just love God but don't actually, aren't trained in the Word of God. And so just doing the best they know how to do, but just coming up with stuff that isn't actually biblical. And we read that before we actually see what's in the Word. Is this making sense right now? Just like I came with my presuppositions to our marriage about what a man was, uh, we come to the Bible with presuppositions about who God is, and then we start reading the Bible through what we are told it is. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> I shouldn't, but I'm going to anyways. <clears throat> There's a, um, a move of God, quotes, uh, that's, that's falling apart right now. I'm not going to call it out, <clears throat> but I am calling out false prophets these days. I am calling out false apostles and false prophets. If you ain't an apostle, if you won't call out a false prophet. Hear me. I was reading. I'm like, am I reading today? I'm like, Paul's there like, hey, by the way, homie and his bro, false teachers who did me much harm, don't let them nowhere near you. This is what shepherds do. Shepherds are willing to point out the people who will do you harm. But right now, oh, Jesus, I'm going to say this. <clears throat> Watch out. I will say this. There is, there is, there is pastoring and there is conference speaker book selling. And people will not do their appointed role because it might affect that role over there. And so since they're on the conference circuit with the same people, they don't call out their friends who are giving just straight up false prophecies. Just to protect their little... I had conversations with national apostles... And I'm like, how are y'all rolling with this dude when this gospel is, like what he is preaching is clearly not the gospel. They said, well, we asked him in our meetings not to talk about that. I'm like, that's like shepherding, except it's not shepherding. <laughs> Speak the lie. You're putting people in their bondage. You're standing on stage with somebody, giving them credence. Now people listen to him and become twice the slave of Satan that they are. Wow. I'm, that's what the Bible said right there, right? They will travel. To become make make disciples twice the slave of Satan that they are, and so there's this there's this there's this I'm teaching about this bridal paradigm, 
And um, it's being exposed because it's false. It was manipulation. It's a, people are like, I was talking to a guy last week. He's like, it's all over the Bible. I'm like, bro, it's really not. This, this teaching is not all over the Bible. You were told that it was there so you would come into this ministry. But God had come to set you free from this manipulation. He's come to set you free. I'm not mad at nobody except the devil, and I want you to be free of this nonsense. Because what happens is, when that house of cards falls down, and those of you who've been in unhealthy churches, you know what I'm talking about. When the house of cards falls down, people get scattered. And I'm here to let you know, hey, this, this turmoil you're getting, it's actually deliverance. This anxiety you're feeling about this thing falling down, that is the Lord bringing you out and it out of you. This is God's mercy why this thing is falling down. God loves you enough. And so people can call me a hater or whatever they want, but we're going we to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and see them get free. Amen? And so God comes in the midst of their religion. I need you to see this, and I've gone too long already. In the midst of their religion, because that's all they know. Hey, should we build this? Should we go ahead and keep the Feast of Booths right now? God shows up. And God says, listen, I know you want to keep the religion, but listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Hear me. Listen to Jesus. I do not care how much you know of this Bible. If you do not hear the voice of God, do whatever it takes to listen to Jesus. There is a river that comes from the throne of God that makes glad the cities of God. Come on. There is a river that sets you free from the bondage of religion. There is a river that has a tree in the middle of it, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. There is a river that flows from the throne of God, and it is pure grace. It is pure love. It is pure acceptance. It is pure healing. It will set you free of whatever ails you. It is righteous and it is holy and it is transforming and it will fill you with the Holy Ghost of God and you will hear the voice of God and you will obey God and your life will be transformed. These are sure words. Listen to Jesus. Many times we thought we were listening to God and we'll allow, and God will allow us to get to a place of terror where we give up on what we're doing and finally listen to Jesus. God will allow us to go so far down that road of listening to man that we'll get to a place and we say, this isn't bearing the fruit that I wanted in my life. What is happening? What do I do? I don't know anything. And God finally breaks through the darkness with a word from Jesus. If you're in that situation today, many times it, 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 we don't hear his voice till we're in the place of terror that we will actually be willing to give up on what we believed and listen to Jesus. It's not how it's supposed to be in my life right now, God. This is not the way I thought it was going to work out right now, God. And God is leaning in and saying, listen to Jesus. Hear me. If you're at a place today where you feel like you don't have answers, if you feel like you're at the end of your road, if you feel like that your grace is worn out, if you feel like, man, I did everything I knew how to do, and yet I still feel alone, let me speak a word over you. No, that's not it. Let me speak a word over you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
If you're at a place, you're like, I feel like I'm in that wilderness, pastor. I feel like I'm in that darkness. I feel like I'm away from God. I feel like I thought I knew something, but now I'm not sure I do. You are in an amazing place because right now you qualify yourself for the kingdom of God. Are you broken today? Are you mourning? Are you scared? The Bible says you are in the perfect place for breakthrough. We get desperate to hear God no matter what he says in these situations. God's got to let you get to, man, I don't know anything anymore before you finally hear what he wants to tell you. We get a little too rich to hear God. We get so comfortable. We get the Lord's Prayer. We hear the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Huh. I don't need God for daily bread. I got everything I need. Huh. And most people stop the prayer right there. Forgive me my sins. As I forgive those who sinned against me. We get so rich, we just cut off the prayer. I mean, you may not do it on purpose. You may not say that out loud. But we get so comfortable in our Christianity. We've never built a booth outside and said, man, I, no, no, this is actually, deep down, I am just a sojourner, desperate for God to lead me. This is why, this is why so many pastors, people over national ministries, it comes out that they just have the most despicable sin in their lives. I am not saying... National ministers have terrible sin. But have you noticed there's been a, a pattern of exposing these sins recently? Why? Why? Like, how do they, you're like, man, this, he sounded like he so knew God and he had, you know what? Because he knew God so well, he didn't, he didn't listen anymore. He wasn't desperate. He didn't feel like he had any spiritual poverty. He definitely didn't have any natural poverty. There was nothing that kept him building a booth outside saying, this is who I really am, poor and desperate in need of God. My, my heroes in the faith, my personal Christian heroes are missionaries who have worldwide ministries and will go out in the middle of the bush of Africa and sleep on the ground so they can reach a people group. And they recognize this is who I really am. I'm not a worldwide personality. I'm not a celebrity. I am a person desperately needs Jesus to show up or this Muslim nation, this Muslim town that I'm in will stone me to death. And so here I am desperately needing the grace of God. This is what keeps us pure. You sharing your faith. You leaning into God. You desperate for God to come through in your life. Let me get the band to come up so I'll just talk all day. <clears throat> Listen, I'm not talking about America poor. I'm not talking about I'm complaining that my $1,400 phone is two years old poor. I've been to Nicaragua over 20 times. and I remember one of the first times I, well, one of the first times I went, we were at a service and everybody who comes there was like a ton of kids at the service. There was a lot of women and kids. I was like, what's up with all the kids? And they're like, well, here's what happens. Uh, anybody who shows up to service, we give food. We give a bag of rice and a bag of beans. And so 
It's really hard to preach to a, a room full of people with empty stomachs who really just want to feed their family, right? It's, it's not the easiest crowd to preach to because they're not actually there to hear you. And uh, <clears throat> I asked what was going on because they were, they were what looked like feeling up the women. I was like, what in the world is happening right now? And they said, well, what happens is uh, these women will come and uh, they'll hide some food in their shirt. They'll go in line, they'll get the rice, they'll get the beans, they'll hide it in their, in their outfit and then they'll try to go through the line again. And in America, we're like thief, but not in Nicaragua. What they were, what they were saying is, you know, my kids are hungry and I'm willing to look like a thief so they don't have to be hungry any more than they have to be. I, I'm willing to look desperate because I actually am. I mean, when you know your kids are lacking, you'll do anything. You'll, you'll go to, if you really love your kids and you know they have what my kids need, I will do whatever it takes to get it for my children. That is hunger. That's a hunger that moves you to do radical things. Hear me right now. That physical hunger that I saw in the moms in Nicaragua, the Lord spoke to me. He's like, when you're hungry for me, like they're hungry for that rice and beans, you will do whatever it takes to get more of me in your life. When you exhibit real hunger, you will show up early, you will stay late, you will preach the gospel, you will be in my word, you will lay down everything you thought you knew so that you can operate in my presence. I'm here to tell you, this is where we get real. church this isn't where we get pretty we can be pretty out there here's where we get real here is where we say man i'm setting up my booth i'm remembering that i am spiritually poor without the grace and word of god i got nothing worth offering anybody there's nothing great in my life i can stack money in my accounts I can stack awards on my bookshelf I can stack children in every room but I got nothing without Jesus I desperately need the voice of God in my life I desperately need the anointing of God in my life I desperately desperately need God's presence in my family and all my kids hungry for his presence today but church is where we get real can't stand a church where people are trying to impress other Christians Chris can't stand a church where there's a hierarchy of who's in and who's not nah here's where we're all out and desperate to get in God's presence this is where we can express our poverty because that's the only way we encounter the grace of God. This is where we see Hebrews rightly. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we were, yet without sin. Therefore, Let's approach the throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. Friends, we're in desperate need of Jesus. We are poor in spirit. I'm going to say this and then we're going to sing. We're going to do what you won't fail. That's what we're going to do. I said, I said one thing to Mikey, but we're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna stay here. We look at sin wrong. We come to Jesus and we, we find out that we're made in God's image and we're beautiful. And uh, we look at sin like it's a, uh, a wart, like it's a wart on our body. I'm beautiful, but I have this sin blemish. There's a part of me that's not pretty and that's, that's sin. That's, that's not how the scripture te- talks about it. And that's certainly not what he's talking about here. Hear me in this. Sin is not something that's added to us. Sin is a hole in our spirit man. There's a place in me that's supposed to find fullness in God, but it doesn't. It's not connected to God there. So and then, instead, that hole is filled by sin. God wants us to repent of our sin the things we do to fill the hole in our heart, the things we do to fill the hole in our spirit, where we're supposed to be connected to God, but we're not, and so we find fulfillment in something else. Jesus wants to heal that with himself. And so we have to reject sin, submit to God. Then God will heal our heart and soul. We turn away from those things that replace the grace of God in our lives. If you're dealing with sin today, and I dare say we all are, but if you're actually convicted of your sin today, I want that to be a reminder that we are poor in spirit and desperately need Jesus. Sin is not the area of your life that you need to fix. Sin is an indication that there's an area of your life that Jesus is not Lord and you're filling it with something else. And we can come with confidence, hear me, to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Hear me, stand with me if you would. And we're going to sing this. Hear me. Sin is a reminder that we're poor in spirit. What the enemy does is you come into sin and he puts shame on you so you stay away from God. When your sin is supposed to remind you that you're poor in spirit and you need to get closer to God. You see how Satan operates, right? You are never going to be good enough to come in God's presence. It's by the grace of God that any of us go there. We're not going to earn it. We're not going to get holy enough. We're not going to get pretty enough. We're not going to be anointed enough. We're not going to know enough word. It's not going to happen. We can only do it by the grace of God. And so the writer of Hebrews says, listen, Jesus was whole. Sin came knocking, but there was no hole in him to be filled with sin. 
But he knows what it's like to be tempted by those things. And so we can confidently come to him who knows what it's like. Just like at that AA meeting where people have no problem saying, I am an alcoholic because they know that room leader knows what it's like to be an alcoholic. We have a savior who knows what it's like to be tempted in sin. And so we can go to him and say, Jesus, there is a hole in my spirit, man. I need you to heal it. And so what I want to do is I want to pray. I want to pray for us today. I want to pray, number one, that we would ask better questions where we're just seeing disciples who are trying to build altars where they didn't... No, 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 no. They were scared and ran to religion. I want to pray that you would be able to ask better questions, number one. And number two, that you would be bold enough to hear the things that you were scared to hear from God in this next season. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I want you to be bold enough to hear from God in areas that you were scared what He may say. Give me a little bit here. So I'm going to pray. He's not going to fail you today in the name of Jesus. He is a very, very, very good God. Anybody say amen. He won't He won't He won't fail He won't fail He won't Come on He won't I desperately need you Jesus He won't fail 